This is literally everything, 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 everything. If you're like me, you have a pile of books older than your grandma's mom and taller than the Empire State Building just begging to be read. To top it off, you probably add several books to said pile every week, yet somehow find yourself in a reading slump with nothing to read. Uh Uh-huh, I see you. In an attempt to tackle my never-ending pile of books, I decided to start a podcast with hopes of making some sort of dent in said pile, and maybe help inspire your next read. I'm Odell. Welcome to Just Read It Already. Welcome back, my friends. Hope your summer has treated you well in the middle of August. And I don't mean to brag because I know a lot of people across the country have been dealing with extreme heat. I'm sorry I feel for you. It's been lovely here in the Portland area. Really dry. The temperatures haven't been bad and I hope I didn't just jinx myself. Anyway, welcome back. This week I have reviews of the Young Adult Horror Anthology, Night of the Living Queers. Emma Tor's Ink Blood Sister Scribe, Shannon Morgan's Her Little Flowers, and R.F. Kwong's Yellow Face. But before we jump into the reviews, let's look at some of the books that are releasing this week. First on my list is The Invisible Hour by Alice Hoffman, an enchanting novel about love, heartbreak, self-discovery, and the enduring magic of books. Then we have Thornhedge by T. Kingfisher. Thornhedge is the tale of a kind-hearted, toad-shaped heroine, a gentle knight, and a mission gone completely sideways. Next is Where the Dead Sleep by Joshua Mayling, described as the literary descendants of Fargo and Mayor of Easttown. Next is Codename Charming by Lucy Parker, a delicious romantic comedy about a fake relationship between a grumpy royal bodyguard and the charming sunny assistant who melts his cold, hard exterior. Then we have New Adult by Timothy Janowski. Nolan Baker longs to be 30, flirty, and thriving in this charmingly quirky LGBTQIA romance that's one part 13 going on 30 and one part one last stop. Next is My Roommate is a Vampire by Jenna Levine. True love is at stake in this charming debut romantic comedy. Cassie's sexy new roommate is a vampire, and he has a proposition for her. Then we have The One That Got Away by Charlotte Rickson. A sweeping, poignant novel spanning two decades about first love, first heartbreak, and the ones we never forget. Next is Tilly in Technicolor by Maisie Eddings. Working as an intern for her perfect older sister startup isn't exactly how Tilly wants to spend her summer, but the required travel around Europe promises a much-needed change of scenery as she plans for her future. Then we have Disappearing Act by Jordan Castle. A young adult memoir in verse following Arthur Jordan Castle's coming of age as her family reckons with the aftershocks of her father's imprisonment. Next is The Last Girl Standing by Jennifer Dugan. The sole surviving counselors of a summer camp massacre search to uncover the truth of what happened that fateful night, but what they find out might just get them killed. Then we have Forgive Me Not by Jennifer Baker. Then we have Holly Horror by Michelle Jabe Corpora, I think. A beloved classic reimagined with a dark twist. 
And from what I gather from the synopsis, this is about a possessed or a haunted Holly Hobby doll, which sounds really creepy. I'm definitely going to check it out. And last on my list is A Tall Dark Trouble by Vanessa Montalban, a dazzling young adult fantasy about a Cuban-American family of brujas who get entangled in love, magic, and murder, alternating between 1980s Cuba and present-day Miami. I've been trying to slow my roll on buying new books because I have far too many that I'm still trying to get through. But I did receive advanced reader copies of a couple of books. One is While We Were Burning by Sarah Coffey. And the other is Not Dead Enough by Tiffany D. Neheiser, or Neheiser, courtesy of Penguin Random House in exchange for an honest review. Now, Not Dead Enough doesn't release until January 23rd, 2024, and While We Were Burning doesn't release until April 16th, 2024. So look for those reviews closer to when they release, so you know, about a month or so before. It'll be a bit. That's all I have on the new book front, so let's jump into the reviews. First, we'll take a look at the young adult horror anthology Night of the Living Queers, 13 Tales of Terror and Delight. I received an advanced reader copy of this on NetGalley, courtesy of the publisher, in exchange for an honest review. This book will be published by Wednesday Books on August 29, 2023. The synopsis reads, Night of the Living Queers is a young adult horror anthology that explores a night when anything is possible, exclusively featuring queer authors of color putting fresh spins on classic horror tropes and tales. No matter its name or occasion, Halloween is more than a hallmark holiday. It's a symbol of transformation. Night of the Living Queers is a young adult horror anthology that explores how Halloween can be more than just candies and frights, but a night where anything is possible. Each short story will be told through the lens of a different BIPOC teen and the Halloween night that changes their lives forever. Creative, creepy, and queer, this collection will bring fresh terror, heart, and humor to young adult literature. I need to start this one off by saying that typically I don't really care for anthologies. I really like to dive into a story, and usually I have a difficult time connecting with a character when I only get you know 10 to 20 pages versus an entire novel with them. That said, I found many of the stories in this collection enjoyable and perfect for the upcoming Halloween season. What drew me to this book was the title, the fact that the authors were all queer and of color, and they were all horror stories. I knew I needed to show my support and help get the word out. The stories in this collection run the gamut from creepy to quirky to goosebump-inducing. There really is something for everyone here. We have a creepy, ghosty party in an old hotel, a dead mother who comes back to visit her daughter on Halloween, which was probably my favorite in the collection. We also have evil clowns and demons who help bullied kids get their revenge on those who've tormented them. So a little bit of everything. All are very well written and the characters and all the stories are relatable in some way. It's been a while since I was a gay kid growing up in rural Idaho, but I could see myself in many of these characters. If only I'd had this book when I was a teen. I loved reading horror novels back then, still do. And this would have been exactly the book that I would have loved. This one, again, drops on August 29th, and I would encourage you to get a copy to have on hand during this year's spooky season and pick a new story each night to creep out your friends. I gave this one three stars. Next, I'll share my thoughts on the wildly creative Ink Blood Sister Scribe by Emma Tours. This book was first published by William Morrow on May 30th, 2023, and was the Good Morning America book club pick for June. The synopsis reads, For generations, the Calate family has guarded a collection of ancient and rare books. 
books that let a person walk through walls or manipulate the elements, books of magic that half-sisters Joanna and Esther have been raised to revere and protect. All magic comes with a price, though, and for years the sisters have been separated. Esther has fled to a remote base in Antarctica to escape the fate that killed her own mother, and Joanna's isolated herself and their family home in Vermont, devoting her life to the study of these cherished volumes. But after their father dies suddenly while reading a book Joanna has never seen before, the sisters must reunite to preserve the family legacy. In the process, they'll uncover a world of magic far bigger and more dangerous than they ever imagined, and all the secrets their parents kept hidden, secrets that span centuries, continents, and even other libraries. In the great tradition of Ninth House, The Magicians, and Practical Magic, this is a suspenseful and richly atmospheric novel that draws readers into a vast world filled with mystery and magic, romance and intrigue, and marks the debut of an extraordinary new voice in speculative fiction. We all know and love the power of books. I have loved them since I was very young. They've always had a magical hold over me. This one turns that power and magic into something quite literal. Sisters Joanna and Esther grew up in a family who for years have collected and taken care of a set of books with magical properties. Each book contains words written in blood that when read aloud can make something happen. For example, Joanna has a set of books that contain the texts that provide a protective ward around her property so that no one can find her home, protecting not only Joanna, but also the prized books that she collects and now protects. Her father has always instilled in her the importance of protecting the books, and since he recently died after reading one of these books, she's afraid that there may be something sinister at play. Meanwhile, Joanna's older sister, Esther, left home without a warning several years ago. Unknown to Joanna, Esther is unaffected by the magic in the books, and she found that for her to stay in her family home, it might make the wards ineffective, opening her family up to attack. So she took her father's advice and moved away. And then every year on November 2nd, she has to pack up and move again so that she can't be found. Until one year, she decides to not move as she was told to do. And that's when she inadvertently kicks off a chain of events that puts her life, and potentially Joanna's life, in danger. Someone has been looking for Esther because unbeknownst to either of the women, Esther holds an important key to the magical puzzle, and someone will stop at nothing to get it. I was completely hooked on this book after only the first few chapters. I had no idea what was going on at first, but I love the idea. The books written in blood held very powerful magic. The pacing in this one is perfect, and with each step a new revelation appears as we grow to understand the complexity around this magic, those who wield it, and those who protect it, and why it's so important. Not only do we see things from Esther and Joanna's point of view, but we eventually meet a young man from England named Nicholas, who is a scribe. He is kept under lock and key because it's his blood that is used to write the spells in these books. It appears that someone is after Nicholas. I mean, obviously. If your blood is magic and can be used to make things happen, I would expect that pretty much everyone in the world would be after you for their own personal gain. But when Nicholas is attacked, he fears that maybe those who have sworn to protect him might actually be his biggest threat. Can he really trust anyone? Eventually, Nicholas and the sisters connect and it's up to the three of them, along with Nicholas's bodyguard, to figure out the real source of danger so as to protect not only themselves, but the precious books as well. The action in this one was non-stop, and I was pleasantly surprised by several of the nice little twists that the author threw in. One I suspected about halfway through the book, but one was completely unexpected, and I absolutely loved it. I managed to get through this one very quickly, which is saying something because it's over 400 pages long. Certainly didn't feel like it, though. 
I was hooked from the beginning and didn't want it to end. I gave it four and a half stars on my blog and Storygraph and four stars on Goodreads. And it's break time. I'll be right back. All right, now I will share my thoughts on Her Little Flowers by Shannon Morgan. I received an advanced copy of this book courtesy of the publisher through a Goodreads giveaway. This book was published by Kensington on July 25th, 2023. The synopsis reads, Francine Thwaite has lived all her 55 years in her family's ancestral home, a rambling Elizabethan manor in England's Lake District. No other living soul resides there, but Francine isn't alone. There are ghosts in Thwaite Manor, harmless and familiar. Most beloved is Bree, the mischievous ghost girl who has been Francine's companion since childhood. When Francine's estranged sister Madeline returns to the manor after years away, she brings with her a story that threatens everything Francine has always believed. It is a tale of cruelty and desperation, of terror and unbearable heartache. And as Francine learns more about the darkness in her family's past and the role she may have played in it, she realizes that confronting the truth may mean losing what she holds most dear. This was a nice little unexpected surprise. I hadn't heard much about this book. In fact, I read the synopsis several months ago, thought it sounded good, added it on Goodreads, and then a few weeks later, I received a notification that there was a giveaway. So I entered the giveaway and then kind of forgot about it. I ended up winning a copy, and when the book arrived in the mail, I just finished what I was reading, so sat down, read the first couple of chapters of this one, and I was hooked. I love when that happens. The overall premise is that Francine is a 50-something-year-old woman who lives in an old English manor, too small to be considered a mansion, but too large to be considered a house. She's an odd bird. She lives without a cell phone or a computer, but she's perfectly happy. She's also able to see ghosts, which makes her the talk of the town. Francine doesn't really mind, though. She's always been the topic of town gossip ever since her abusive father disappeared when she was young, leaving her and her sister Madeline alone with their eccentric mother. Francine spends most of her time bumbling around the manor, and Brie, the spirit of a young girl, keeps her company. Brie has been Francine's friend for as long as she can remember. She's mostly happy with her simple life, but when Madeline returns home and brings with her some disturbing news, Francine's simple life turns on its head. What really happened the night that her father disappeared? Why suddenly is there an evil spirit crashing through the manor and the forest that surrounds it almost as if it's out for revenge? And what secret was their mother keeping from them? This one had all the good, creepy elements that I would expect from a good old ghost story. We had the manor surrounded by a forest. Next door to the manor is an abandoned asylum and a huge graveyard. We have a wild, crazy entity that suddenly appears when an estranged sibling returns after being away for a while, and a deep, dark family secret that connects everything together. As I mentioned earlier, I hadn't heard a whole lot about the book, and I entered the giveaway on a whim because I was in the mood for a good ghost story. And while I enjoyed myself while reading it, I wasn't totally blown away, mostly because I had a really difficult time with the way Francine and Madeline's mother handled the big bad thing that happened so many years ago when her husband disappeared. The author explained why the mother behaved the way she did, but it didn't hit right for me. The book is fun, though. has some really creepy moments. At times, it reminded me of the movie The Conjuring, and then there were some scenes that reminded me of The Haunting of Bly Manor on Netflix. 
Even with the slight irk that I have with this one, I would still recommend it to lovers of ghost stories. I realize I haven't really said what the irk is, mainly because if I were to say more, I would give away a big part of the mystery and I don't want to do that. Halloween's coming up, best time of the year, and this is the perfect book to cuddle up with on a cool fall night. I rated it three and three quarter stars on my blog and Storygraph, and four on Goodreads. We will close out with my review of R.F. Kuang's Yellowface. This book was first published by William Morrow on May 25th, 2023, and was Reese's Book Club pick for July of 2023. The synopsis reads, Athena Liu is a literary darling, and June Hayward is literally nobody. When Athena dies in a freak accident, June steals her unpublished manuscript and publishes it as her own under the ambiguous name Juniper Song. But as evidence threatens June's stolen success, she will discover exactly how far she will go to keep what she thinks she deserves. What happens next is entirely everyone else's fault. With its totally immersive first-person voice, Yellowface grapples with questions of diversity, racism, and cultural appropriation, as well as a terrifying alienation of social media. R.F. Kuang's novel is timely, razor-sharp, and eminently readable. This book has been hanging out on my iPad since it released, so I was happy when it was selected as Reese's Book Club pick for July, so that I had an excuse to bump it up. I was intrigued by the premise, and trust me when I say that it delivered so much more than I expected. I'm sure I sound like a broken record when I say that I love questionable and morally gray characters. What's even more fun is when they are either completely clueless to this fact, or can convince themselves that their wrongdoings are completely justified. Such is the case with June, aka Junie, aka Juniper, our main character in this book. June Hayward is a white 20-something who has dreams of being one of those authors whose books sit at the top of bestseller lists for weeks, wins lots of awards, and has all of their books optioned for movies or TV series. Sadly for June, she wrote one book that didn't do so hot. Didn't even get a paperback release. She's pretty sure her editor hates her, and her agent only reaches out now and then because he too doesn't expect great things from June after her first book tanked. Athena Liu, on the other hand, has everything that June has ever dreamed of. Instant bestseller, movie options, Netflix options, Whenever Athena calls up June to share her good news and then asks June to go out with her for a celebratory drink, June tags along. She doesn't have any real friends in publishing, and while she doesn't especially like Athena, maybe hanging out with Athena will help introduce June to someone that will bring her the success that she's dreamed of. June's wish comes true when one night after celebrating Athena's Netflix deal, the two go back to Athena's house for a drink. One drink turns to two, and before you know it, the women are having a pancake-eating contest, which is when Athena begins to choke. June attempts to give her the Heimlich, and it doesn't work. June calls for help, but Athena doesn't make it. Earlier that evening, Athena had shared with June the manuscript for the super-secret book she had just finished, a book no one knew she was writing. June was going to read it for Athena and share her thoughts, but now that Athena is dead and no one knows about the book... Could June have been handed a gold mine? This kicks off June's journey, and oh, what a journey it is. She does several rewrites on the manuscript, cutting some things, fleshing other things out, and before you know it, she has a deal and it's off to bestseller and famous author land. But someone doesn't believe June wrote the book, and now June is like a cat covering shit, doing everything she can to ensure her dirty little secret never gets out. Along the way, she battles with embittered bloggers and journalists and endures a hailstorm of criticism on social media. 
What I love so much about this book is that we, the reader, know that everything June did was wrong. But at the same time, I didn't want her to get caught. While I didn't agree with what she did, I could totally understand how she was able to justify her heinous actions. Now, don't we all do that in some way? I think if we get backed into a corner, we can justify almost anything. If she were to admit to what she did, her entire reputation and her livelihood would literally disappear overnight. How does one move on from that? How can you even exist? Let me just say again, what she did was wrong, but I understand why she was so desperate to ensure the truth never came out. The author does a great job on this one. The plot is tight and a little twisted, and June, while not a good person, is written in a way that you can still have a little empathy for her. I enjoyed the wild ride that ensued, and I got through this one really quickly. I gave it four and a quarter stars on the blog and Storygraph, and four on Goodreads. That's it for today. Don't forget to rate and subscribe on whatever podcast app you're listening on. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram for all things bookish. My handle there is at justreaditalreadypod. You can also find links to all of the books that I talked about today on the website at justreaditalready.com. Please join me next week when I share my thoughts on Dan Frey's Dreambound, Caroline O'Donohue's The Rachel Incident, Kaylin Bayron's You're Not Supposed to Die Tonight, and Riley Sager's The Only One Left. Have an amazing week. I'll see you next time.